Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 11, the book of Judges chapter 11. We continue our study through the Old Testament. And do you remember last week in chapter 10, you know, kind of an abrupt cutoff because, you know, things are getting heated in Gilead. Now, what happened, don't forget our study in chapter 10 from last week because Israel had forgotten the Lord and in tribulation, they cry out to God. Now, remember in verse 16, last week in Judges 10, in verse 16, they acknowledge their sin, but they also put away their idols. And it was at that moment where God could no longer endure their misery. And you know, in that verse, in verse 16, you see how effectuation, it all, you know, it leads to something with effectuation. You know, it's something that we always mention as the formula we see gets right in Israel. Now there's effectuation of promise. You see, and you know, the Lord is the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. That's what the Bible says. And at the same time, we see, you know, that Israel's enemy, the Ammonites, what happens with the Ammonites is that, you know, they're, they're ready for war. They come for war. And then where we ended last week in chapter 10, we see that they have this staging area for war where, you know, the, the Ammonites, Ammon, they're in Gilead and Israel in Mizpah. So we see these two towns of Gilead and Mizpah and Gilead is in an occupied condition because the Ammonites come into Gilead. So the inhabitants of Gilead are being occupied by, by the Ammonites. And, you know, uh, the, the people of Gilead, they ask, you know, who, who is it that will fight? Who, who will begin the, the fight? Because it, we're at the precipice of war here, the very precipice of war. And that's where we left off last week. Kind of an abrupt, I mean, like, you know, it, 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 you know, sometimes we're so spoiled now because we have these breakups, breakups in chapter. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, you know, these chapter breaks, they're like, you know, they, they, they cut off. Like, it's like we were like in the, at the precipice of battle and it, and it cut off. So now we continue. And but here in chapter 11 for a little bit, not the entire chapter, but just for a little bit, we get a little backdrop of something else that was happening or something else that had happened with a particular resident of Gilead. And that's where we start here in Judges chapter 11, verse 1. And we see here in verse 1, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. So there's several things that we see here that Jephthah, he's homegrown. He's from Gilead. But he's kind of a black sheep because what happens is, you know, his mom was a harlot. She was a, a, a prostitute. Now, several things to keep in mind here. Last week in our study in chapter 10, but not just in chapter 10, but pretty much the entirety of the book of Judges. Several things to keep in mind is that the overarching, the, 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 the most important is that Israel was forgotten or, or uh, God was forgotten in Israel. The people, you see, we see the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. And I don't say most important, like, you know, that that's a good thing. I say most important of like, you know, that's a bad thing. That's a terrible thing. The most important is for all of us to remember the Lord and honor the Lord. But when we look at the book of Judges, we see that doesn't happen. 
and you see the ups and the downs of Israel. And a lot of times, you know, you have to be very cautious with certain pastors and certain teachers because they use the book of Judges to say, how dare you, Israel? How dare you, Israel? And point to, oh, but God is done with Israel. And so now the promises are, are all gone for Israel. And now they're to the church. That's replacement theology, which is a lie from the pit of hell. And you see the tricksters and the hucksters that stand at the pulpit and they teach in this manner. But it's a lie from the pit of hell. They're servants of Satan. They serve their father, the devil. They do not serve the most high. And we have to be wise to the times. Good old coalitions, you know, they have their books, they have their pamphlets, they have their organizations, they have all kinds of things. The good old coalition, but it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's replacement theology, which is unbiblical. We look at the book of Judges and we see like, oh my goodness, what has happened? Israel has forgotten the Lord. Israel has forgotten the Lord. But then we look at the church and we see, wait a second, the same exact thing happens in the church when the Lord becomes forgotten. You see, remember Brother Paul, he says these things written of old, they were written for our admonition, for our warning. It's very important to understand. And so, you know, when we keep these things in mind, we see that, yes, in the book of Judges, the Lord became forgotten. And you see the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs and how the Lord uses judges. And it's Terribly sad when the Lord becomes forgotten. You see the rotten fruit that is evident when it does happen. But when God is forgotten, don't expect to see good fruit. Expect to see rotten fruit. When God is forgotten, don't expect to see order. Expect to see chaos and a whole lot of mess. And you can say, well, that's for the book of Judges. No, it applies today. Because when God is forgotten, don't expect to see, you know, everything's fine and dandy. Don't expect to see green pastures and still waters. Don't expect to see that when the Lord is forgotten. But you can see that when the Lord is remembered, when he's honored. Now, when we look at culture, culturally speaking, at this particular time, it was very, very, very male dominant. Very male dominant, very, and that's an understatement. If a female was single, and if she's single and, and, and her husband or her dad died, she would be in a very, very, very bad situation. Very bad situation. Financially speaking, in terms of, you know, being able to, you know, have a place to live. Very, very tough situation because, you know, the, the males were the bread earners. You know, the, 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 the husband, the father figure, those were the bread earners. And, you know, husband dies or dad dies and it's like, hey, no more, no more, no more bread earner. Then, you know, a single female is in really, really bad shape, really bad shape. And I don't say this in any way, shape or form to excuse prostitution to excuse harlotry. I don't say it in that manner, but it's understandable given certain situations. And in no way am I advocating the vocation, but it's understandable. Don't forget, the Lord is forgotten here. The Lord, you know, we, we have like this 
prequel, so to speak, in, you know, the first several verses of, of Judges 11. And don't forget that the Lord is forgotten. And in no way am I advocating the law, but the law does have provisions for females to be cared for in certain situations so that prostituting, that would be a closed door completely, a completely closed door because there are statutes and provisions in the law to take care of, you know, the, 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 uh, 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 the single woman who doesn't have a dad, doesn't have a husband. There are provisions in the law for that. But when God is forgotten, don't expect order. Expect people to live how they think is right. Oh, you know, this seems good. This seems right. And so I'm going to go ahead and do this. Oh, this seems good too. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. We cannot expect order when the Lord isn't there. And I don't mean to say that and, and, you know, start to, you know, advocate for these things or even be okay with these things or even seem like I am advocating or I'm okay with it. I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with prostitution. I don't like it. But for the prostitute, in some cases, I get it. I understand. And I remember I had a conversation one time with a prostitute and, you know, not, not as a customer, just a little disclaimer, not, not as a customer, you know, she wanted to be, she wanted me to be the customer, but I was, you know, that, that wasn't happening. And we had this conversation and, you know, vocation aside, she, she was a nice gal, vocation aside. I mean, she, she was actually quite lovely. I mean, in terms of like, you know, we, it took a while to, to, to break that ice because, you know, I wasn't biting, but it, it, it took a while to break that ice. But once that ice was broken, it was a beautiful, beautiful conversation. And she was prostituting to take care of her kids. And it's so beautiful, you know, when, you know, when certain things of the flesh, it's just, it's not happening. You know, it, it, it just blows me away so much because the flesh, the carnal nature, it gets in the way. It gets in the way of righteousness. And we see that all throughout scripture. We see it all throughout scripture, but we see it all throughout even our own lives. When the flesh, it just gets in the way of proper vision, proper hearing. And so I'm not trying to come off like, you know, oh, I'm okay with prostitution. No, I'm not okay with prostitution, the vocation. But don't forget, you know, when the Lord is forgotten, this world, our culture, it's going to get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and times a million because it's just going to get nasty. And it already is nasty. It's just going to get even more nasty. But... Where do you think the fish are? Straight up, where do you think the fish are? You see? And so we have to have this proper vision to help us understand. And when God is forgotten, as we see here in the book of Judges, you see people just living as they think is the right way to live. And it's understandable. I, 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 I'm not saying that that's a good thing. It's understandable, especially given certain circumstances and certain situations. 
I mean, you look at culture today, today and you see mess upon mess upon mess upon mess. But what do you expect? I mean, let's be straight up. What do you expect? When God is forgotten, what can we expect except mess upon mess upon mess? And you can say, well, that's the world. That's the world. We're Christians. You see it in the church. You see it in the church, in a home, in a family, in a marriage, mess upon mess upon mess upon mess. Why is that? Because God has forgotten. I mean, it's kind of simple. It's, it's, it's not kind of simple. It is simple. Just flat out. It's simple. It's what happens when the Lord is forgotten. Oh, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I could never forget the Lord. Really? What's up with the crack pipe? You see? What's up with the pornography? What's up with the whiskey? Oh, I'm a Christian. Really? Okay. I could never forget the Lord. Okay. What's up with the Ouija board? What's up with the Buddha? You see? Why are you, why are you praying to Mary? You see? And you see mess upon mess upon mess upon mess. But what do you expect? Don't forget apostasy. It is prophesied to happen. And you know what? It's already happening. And it's devastating. It's always devastating. And it always comes at a heavy cost. It comes at a heavy cost to people, to cities, to, to regions, to countries. It comes at a heavy cost. You know, the salt of the earth, but when salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. And we see that over and over in region across, across the world, region here, region there. And you see, it's like being trampled underfoot by men. Well, the salt has lost its flavor. I mean, it's, I don't want to oversimplify things, but when you look at it, it's really kind of simple. And it does come at a heavy cost to families, to individuals, but especially when the door of grace is coming to a close. The door of grace is open, presently open. It's not open like it was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, it was wide open. It's been closing slowly. And at the end of the age, it will close, that door of grace. And there's something I want to say to my sisters in Christ, my beautiful, beautiful sisters in Christ. I love you. But we also have to factor in something else. Because here in Judges 11, we've seen it already, but I have to say it again. We also see like multiple wives and concubines. And I don't say that as a good thing. Me personally, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the multiple wives, wife number one, two, three, four, five, concubine number one, two, three, four, five. I don't like it. Concubine is sexual slave. That's what concubines are, sexual slaves. See, it's not a maid to clean. It's not, you know, a cook to cook. It's not this to that. No, it's concubine. That's a slave for sex. I don't like it. And then you see people with their multiple wives, multiple concubines. Always, 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 my beautiful sisters in Christ, always, 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 always remember the words of our Lord when he pointed to the beginning. From the beginning, it was not so, he said. 
He pointed to Adam and Eve, one wife. Remember, the law was added because of sin. You see? Remember our study in Galatians? And I get it. Sometimes I have these conversations conversations with my sisters in Christ. And like, wow, you know, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. This guy, you know, he's got these multiple wives. This other guy, he's got his multiple wives and concubines. I don't like it either. I don't like it. We must always remember the words of our Lord. He pointed to the beginning. You see? And so we see what's happening here in verse 1. That you have Jephthah. And, you know, he's the son of a harlot. harlot, And Gilead begot Jephthah. And then we see in verse 2, Gilead's wife bore sons. So already we see something's off. Because in verse 1, Gilead begot Jephthah with the harlot. But in verse 2, Gilead begot more with someone else, his wife. You see? Again, for my beautiful sisters in Christ. In the beginning, it was not so. And look what happens here in verse 2. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out. So the kids become adults. And look what happens. They drove Jephthah out and said to him, still in verse 2, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Whoa. Now, there are statutes in the law for people to be right with the Lord, and there are statutes in the law for inheritance too. You see? And so we see that the, the, the law's instruction has been given, but following instruction is for each person to make for themselves. And not to make matters worse, but don't forget, at this particular juncture, God has been, become forgotten. It reminds me a lot about today, where you have Bibles in shelves or on shelves in homes collecting dust. Collecting dust. The instruction is there. A lot of homes, they have a, a Bible in their home and it's just collecting dust. Meanwhile, in that home, what do you see? Do you see marriages intact? Do you see oh, you know, a, a, a drug-free home? Do you see an alcohol-free home? Do you see Ouija boards? Do you see witchcraft and Wicca pornography? Meanwhile, there's a Bible Top shelf where nobody can reach. In the corner. Oh, we got a Bible in our home and, you know, we're Christians by osmosis. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. And you see homes falling apart. Kids wanting to kill themselves, commit suicide. And dad's doing his sex and pornography. Mom is doing her alcohol, whatever. And you have, you know, teenage son that wants to kill himself. Teenage daughter that wants to kill herself. Meanwhile, you got the Bible collecting dust. You see? Instruction, it's there. It is right there. But following instruction? Each person has to make that choice for themselves. And to further complicate, when God has forgotten, you think that's going to happen? You see? 
And holy instruction gets buried in culture, just as we see in Judges we see today. Holy instruction gets buried in culture. You look at a home. Look at a home where the Bible is collecting dust. They have the Bible. They have they have the the the, the word of God. But at the same time, if it's not read, if the word of God collects dust, what 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 can we expect to happen in the home? What can we expect to happen in a marriage? What can we expect to happen in a family when the Bible collects dust? You see? And when culture accepts this and that and X and Y and Z and 1 and 2 and 3, but the Bible says those things aren't good, but culturally acceptable. And then comes the entry into apostasy. And further down, down that road becomes, you know, the entry into hellfire damnation. But what, what can we expect? You see, the instruction is there. Bible's collecting dust. The instruction is there. But who has ears? Oh, it's okay. I'm a Christian. Look, I have 10,000 teachers. Again, who has ears? See, nothing new under the sun. And so we see what's happening here in Judges 11 in the first several verses. You see that, you know, they have Gilead has, has his wife who bore sons, but he also has a harlot who bore Jephthah. But the sons of his wife, they, hey, Jephthah, get out of here. You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. I get it. I get it. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying I agree with it. But I get it. I understand. When people formulate their own idea of what they think is right, and you know, you throw when you factor in the Lord becoming forgotten, you factor in uh, people looking out for themselves. Oh, we have our father's inheritance, and you know, that's for us because you know, we have, you know, the, our, our dad has a wife, but this harlot over here. And her son? No way. He's not included in the in in the inheritance. I I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. I understand. Just they're they're living in a manner which seems right to them. But then you factor in the Lord becoming forgotten, and when the Lord becomes forgotten, you factor in coveting. You factor in selfishness. You factor in all kinds of things of the flesh. It's understandable. You see, again, speaking about culture, which is getting worse and worse and worse and darker and darker and darker and filthier and filthier and nastier and nastier. But that's where the fish are. That's where the fish are. And in verse 3, we see, Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Now, the Hebrew text doesn't say that they went out raiding. It says that, 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 that worthless men joined with him, but and joined with Jephthah, and they went with him. But raiding? It's probably very appropriate when you see this 
cohort of worthless men with Jephthah. You know, he's kicked out by his own brothers. And yes, he's born of a prostitute, but that's not his fault. That's not that's not his fault. I mean, he, if, if there's a, a baby born into whatever situation, that's not the fault of the baby. He had no control of that. A baby born in, you know, what she had no control. He had no control of that. And Jeff got kicked out by his brothers. And, and you see this cohort that's with them, this wild bunch, probably very rough around the edges. Probably very rough around the edges. And, you know, even that is understandable. I'm not making excuses. But it's understandable to see this nomadic wild bunch, so to speak, ostracized from Gilead. Ostracized from Gilead at a time when God has become forgotten. And so we see verses 1, 2, and 3 as kind of a prequel to Judges chapter 10, because now we get into Judges 4, or, or Judges 11, verse 4. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war with Israel. And so this is from our study last week in chapter 10. So we see like, you know, Judges 11, 1, 2, 3, those first three verses. It's kind of like a prequel to like, you know, chapter 10. I mean, if, if we were to read in chronological order, we would have read Judges 11, 1, 2, 3 before chapter 10. But we have chapter 10 to give us an, like, you know, an overview of what is happening. And then in Judges 11 from verse 4, that overview, it continues. But then at the same time, we get a little prequel of verses 1, 2, and 3, which is, you know, there's this, you know, this meanwhile, but it's already happened, you know, like a, a prequel. And so here we are in verse 4 that it came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And remember the two cities where we ended our study last week. Remember the two cities. Ammon, the Ammonites, they're in Gilead. And they're, you know, Gilead is occupied by Ammon. Israel is in Mizpah. And so remember in chapter 10, verse 18 last week where we ended, where, you know, in Gilead they say, who is the man who will fight? Who is it that will fight? And so we are here in verse 5. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel, or translates in the Hebrew as prevailed against Israel, that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. So the elders, they, you know, where is Jephthah? Where is Jephthah? And so they go to Tob. And in verse 6, then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander. Come and be our commander. Remember last week when, you know, when they said, you know, who's going to fight for us? Who will fight? Now the elders come to Jephthah and they ask him, you know, hey, be our commander. Now, he wasn't their first pick. I wonder who was their first pick. I wonder how many others there were because Ammon, they started to prevail in the fight. So, you know, Israel took some losses. The, the fight had already begun, but, you know, they took some losses. And so, you know, now when we see in verse 5, when the people of Ammon made war against Israel or prevailed against Israel, I wonder who was it that they chose to be, you know, hey, you be our commander. Hey, you be our commander. I wonder what happened to those guys. 
for them to come to the point where the elders, hey, where's where's Jephthah? We need Jephthah. I wonder how many there. I wonder who they were. I wonder how many. I just wonder. Ammon started to prevail in the fight against Israel, which exposed whoever those previous choices were, they were defunct, didn't work out so well. And so they come to Jephthah. They say in verse 6, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah, in verse 7, Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead. You know, that's, it's just so, it blows me. I mean, put yourself in Jephthah's shoes. Like, what? What in the world is happening? You put yourself in Jephthah's sandals. I mean, it's not your fault that, you know, the, the womb you came out of, it's not, that's not your fault. You had no say in those choices made by the, the parental units. You had no say in it. You see? And then we see the brothers drove him out when, you know, when they were fully grown. But I wonder what that childhood was like. I wonder what that childhood was like with his siblings. You see? I mean, when everybody's little, that's one thing. But kids grow up. And when kids grow up, they gain certain understandings where, you know, they're not playing tiddlywinks anymore. And as teenagers discovering the lineage of their brother Jephthah and then getting older, wanting the inheritance of Gilead all to themselves. You see? And then when the Lord is forgotten, when the Lord is forgotten, how do you expect the Lord to be honored? You see? And they might say, oh, look, we're following Moses. We're following Moses, the, the laws of inheritance. Oh, look, we're following Moses. We're so concerned about the purity of inheritance. They can fake it all they want. Jephthah, get out of here. You're not one of us. But don't forget, there is the entirety of the law. It's not cherry picking. Oh, I'm going to follow this one law and I'm not going to follow this other law. No, it's. It's all or none, you see? And I'm not advocating the law in saying that because as New Covenant believers, we understand that the law has loopholes. The law is still holy, but the law has loopholes. Why? To make way for the better law. To make way for the New Covenant. I mean, if you're listening for the first time and you're like, what? Old Covenant, New Covenant, what? Listen to our study through Galatians and then listen to our study through Hebrews. You'll understand more. Very important to understand the two covenants. You see? And when you put yourself in Jephthah's sandals, it's like, what in the world is happening? You see the, the elders of the town that kicked you out? And they're asking, come be our commander. What is happening here? And so we get into verse 7 where they, the Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? When you are in tribulation is how that word translates. Remember last week in our study in chapter 10? Where God says to the people, he says, I will deliver you no more. That's what 
Straight up, that's what the Lord says. I will deliver you no more. Do you want to have your, your gods and idols? Okay. Go cry to them. Go cry to them. You chose them. Go cry to them. Let them deliver you in your tribulation, in your distress. You see, when things are seemingly fine, idolatry seems to be no big deal. Oh, Ammon, they're far, far away. The Ammonites, they're far, far away. Let's worship Baal. Far, far away is any threat. Oh, there's no threat. We are God's chosen people. There's no threat. Let's worship the asterisks. But it's going to be the same in the last days. Oh, God is love. God is love. Let's do our sex. Oh, God is love. God is love. Let's do our crack. You see, God won't mind a little Buddha. He won't mind my chakras. He won't mind my crystals. No, God is love. This is the age of grace. God is love. But in tribulation, in tribulation, when people are so terrified that they let go of their crystals, they let go of their chakras, they let go of their Buddha, they let go of their Ouija board, they let go of their sex and drugs and rock and roll. They let go of the, those things in tribulation. You see, Jephthah's blown away here. You hated me. You expelled me. Says a lot about the elders too. Because the elders come to him in Tob, a different town. The elders come to him and they say, you know, uh, uh, and here in verse 7, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? And now you come to me when you're in distress? says a lot about the elders. Because speaking to the elders, he says, you hated me. You expelled me from my father's house. I wonder what type of counsel the brothers sought. Hey, elders. Hey, elders, we want to do what is right. Can you help us with this family matter we have? And then the elders are on board with the brothers. You see, remember our studies in Torah, in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Remember our study, how we often would say how, you know, the, 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 the priesthood, awesome. When the formula is right, priesthood, awesome. Elders, when the formula is right, awesome. But we said how easy it was, how very easy it was for corruption to enter. I meant for the brothers, put yourself in an elder's sandals. Put yourself in the elder's sandals. I meant, say we're all male and you're in the elder's sandals and say the formula's right. Say you and me, we're elders. We're all male. And you and me, we're elders. And the formula's right in both you and me. And then you have these brothers come. They got their smile on their face, you know. It'll give us the, the give us the spiel. Oh, we want to do what's right. We want to do what's right in the eyes of you know Father Moses, and we want to be right before the Lord. And we have this situation, elders. Then they give us the spiel, 
And it seems like they're looking out for their inheritance. But you and me, the formula is right. And we understand that it is also written. And so you ask the question, tell me, you say, tell me, what's, what's motivating this? And then one leans in, well, you know, he's the, Jephthah, he's the son of a harlot. Yeah, our dad, you know, this happened. And... Okay. And then you and me who know formula. The very first thing that comes to mind is everybody clean. Is everybody clean before the Lord? You see? Let's get everybody cleaned up. Let's get everybody cleaned up because everybody, the whole family, everybody under this tent has to be right before the Lord. And the brothers get mad at us. We're not, we're not giving them what they wanted. We're not approving of what their intent was because our focus is on everybody being cleaned up. Let's get everybody cleaned up and we're the elders. So, okay, let's go to the priesthood now. The priest, they have a role. And so... Let me introduce you to this priest. We know a priest who's like, you know, the formula is right in him. Like, no, 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 no. We'll go to these other elders. I'm, I'm, I'm a little busy now. I don't have time for that, but I'm going to go to these other elders. That's what the brothers tell us. We're going to go over here to these other elders. You see? And remember our study in Torah. How we would make mention of this. How, yes, it's beautiful. Not advocating the law and saying that. But it's beautiful and holy. And the formula is right. But when the formula is wrong, everything goes out of whack. You see? Everything goes out of whack. Very easy for corruption to enter. Again, when God is forgotten, what do you expect? Don't expect order when God is forgotten. Expect mess. But the opposite is also true when God is remembered. Once again, expect order to come about. And Jephthah, he's taken aback. He's like, wait a second, in verse 7, you hated me. You expelled me. And now you come to me? You see? Not, you know, not before when things were, when the, the Ammonites were far, far away, but now... And not just now that the battles, the fight has already begun, but now that you guys are losing, Ammon has advanced, making advancements against you, and now you come to me when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead in verse 8 said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon. And be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, you know, just to make sure. I want to make I want to be sure that I'm hearing you straight, elders. And he says in verse 9, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do according to your words. It's okay. He's got his answer. He's got his answer. Now we get into verse 11. 
Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now, remember the two staging areas where you have occupied Gilead and in Mizpah where Israel assembled. And, you know, in, 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 we see that in Mizpah, Jephthah, what does he do? He goes before the Lord. He goes before the Lord. It's so beautiful when you just, here we are in Judges 11. But don't forget Judges 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And here we are in 11. Don't forget, you know, when the Lord becomes forgotten, who didn't forget? Who is it that didn't forget? Male and female. Remember beautiful Deborah? When the Lord becomes forgotten, who remembers the Lord? And of those who remember the Lord, those are the ones who the Lord uses. Remember the jumper cables of Deborah? The jumper cables of Ehud? And you see, Jephthah, he goes before the Lord. And in verse 12, now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me, that you have come to fight against me in my land? Now, we're on the precipice of battle. The, the battle has already begun, but you know it's, it's intensifying. Israel has taken losses. But now they have Jephthah. And Jephthah, you know, he sends messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, the opposing force. And the, the messengers, you know, what, what do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? Now, I mean, the, the very precipice of battle with Jephthah as commander. And some of you know what that feels like. Some of you know quite well what that feels like. Moments before a brawl, moments before the fight, moments before breach and the engagement of combat and in combat. And when you look at Jephthah, look what he does first. He goes to the Lord and he seeks the Lord. He goes to the Lord in prayer. And then he leads with peace, making an appeal to the king of Ammon. Now, remember the law? Remember? Remember our study in Torah? How in Torah, statutes even for combat and warfare, before engaging in combat to lead with peace, remember? I mean, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our studies through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy paying very special attention to our warning labels because our study in the Old Testament, in, in Torah, had uh, Torah, Pentateuch, first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, first five books, that's Torah or Pentateuch. And so, you know, heed the warning labels too because, you know, we have to be very cautious with the law. We have to understand the law. And so these warning labels, if you're listening for the first time and you're a new believer, don't, don't do the Torah just yet. You know, uh, go through uh, Romans all the way through our studies in James. It's a, it's a pretty big chunk. 
And so listen to those messages first and then go back and listen to the studies in Torah. You'll understand more and you'll understand the safety in this recommendation because we're a people of the new covenant. We are of the new covenant, not the old. And the law is still holy, but the law is a tutor and the law has loopholes. You see? Because here we are, we've seen the, here we are in Judges. We've studied Judges 10 last week. And we've seen the oppression of the Ammonites, the Ammon against Israel. You see Israel in a state where they do not have rest. But they had rest in the law. They have the law of the Sabbath. But yet, through oppression, they don't have Sabbath. You see? Does that mean that the law is ineffective? No, it means that the law points to fulfillment, Jesus Christ. You see? That something greater would be sought after. Remember our study in Hebrews? And it's so beautiful to see, not advocating the law here, but Jephthah, look how he prays. Look at how before engaging in combat, we see how he leads with peace. I mean, these are things like he's like he knows the law. He doesn't just know the law. He's doing the law. He knows the statutes and he's following the statutes. And it's very interesting to see these behavior traits of the judges that God uses, varying backgrounds, male and female, varying ages. But they all honor the Lord in accordance to instruction found in the word. The word which they had, they didn't have the New Testament, but the instruction they had, Torah. You see? And it's so beautiful to see Yes, it's ugly that the Lord becomes forgotten. And it's ugly that the Lord, that it got to this point. But when you look at who didn't forget the Lord, who is it that is standing in the Lord? Forget the background, forget the family background. I mean, like, Jephthah didn't control that, you know, the womb that he came out of. He had no control over that. He had no say in that. But yet he honored the Lord. When the Lord became forgotten, not with Deborah, not with Ehud. And the Lord sees that. The Lord sees that. And just as we see the prophets, where Amos says, yeah, I'm no prophet, nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, surprise, you're my guy. But the Lord still does that today. Because he sees, he, he knows the heart. The motives. And it's so beautiful to see this. When Jephthah, he's, you know, at the as as far as for him, at the precipice, a precipice of battle, and before that, he seeks the Lord. And even before actually engaging in combat, he leads with peace. And he sent messengers to the king in verse 12. What have you against me? That you've come to fight against me in my land. In verse 13, And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel, Because Israel took away my land when they came out of Egypt. Now this is 
quite the old grudge. This is something that is lost in modern generations today in Western cultures, especially. And, you know, we say old grudge, but, you know, in some cases, grudges are quite ancient, especially when it comes to the line of Isaac and Ishmael or Jacob and Esau. And these conflicting lines will be settled by Jesus. Remember our study in the book of Genesis, if you've been walking with us for a while? How from time to time in our studies, we would say actually quite often, it's one big family dispute. And it truly is. But much better it is to be right with Jesus Christ today, right here, right now. And if that's you, if you're listening and you want to be right with God, but you don't know how. Hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you can learn how. And you can respond and repent. You see? And be born again. And then you come back and we listen and we grow together. We mature together. To be right with God. And that's only through Jesus Christ. You see, Buddha can't do it. Mary can't do it. Hindu Vedas can't do it. Jesus Christ, one way. And so, Ammon answers. Israel took my land when they came out of Egypt. He points, he goes back far. He says, from the Arnon as far as the Jabok and to the Jordan, now, therefore, restore those lands peaceably. You see, now the king makes his argument. This is our land, he says, and we want it back. You see, very interesting, because these are arguments that are still being had today. In verse 14, so Jephthah again sent messengers. And, you know, we're so spoiled today, because today we have phones and texts and emails and chats. But back in the day, if you were the messenger, you were the email. And so Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and said to him, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. You see, that was Ammon's argument in verse 13. You took my land. In verse 15, Israel didn't take the land. Not of Moab nor of Ammon. No, Israel didn't take it away. And that's what Jephthah is saying through these messengers. In verse 16, For when Israel came up from Egypt, now, remember, remember that the messengers, they're giving this message, but it's from Jephthah. And remember how Jephthah honored the Lord and sought the Lord before the fight. Well, in addition to him honoring the Lord, Jephthah also has knowledge of the Lord and his handiwork through the years. And this is something that is being recounted to the king of Ammon. We see here, you know, because the king says, hey, you know, Israel, in verse 13, Israel took away my land when they came out of Egypt and we want it back. Restore those lands peaceably. And so Jephthah, through the messenger, say, no, 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 no. 
Israel didn't take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. In verse 16, for when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, Edom, saying, this is verse 17, please let me pass through your land. Please let me pass through your land. Remember our study in Numbers, Numbers chapter 20. Where we have, you know, we, we've studied the accounting of events. And in giving this history lesson, so to speak, Jephthah through the messengers is saying, but the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. You see, and Jephthah is giving the account. Israel wasn't looking for the fight. Remember our study in, in Numbers? Israel wasn't looking for a fight. They didn't go out as warmongers. No. And that this is these are things that Jephthah is recounting. In verse 18, And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. You see? Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel, in verse 21, delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now, in verse 23, and now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed or expelled the Amorites from before his people Israel. And this is the question that Jephthah poses through his messengers. Should you then possess it? You see, the king, he wanted the land. He wanted the land. And, you know, I understand the position. I understand the argument. But it doesn't hold water. I mean, what? Why did he think the land was his? Why did he think that he was entitled to the land? Somewhere along the line in his upbringing to this point, there was a rewriting of history. And instead of believing the truth, he believed the lie. I mean, it's, it's one thing to make advancements against Israel alone. But it's completely different to make advancements against Israel when Israel is with God. It's another thing entirely. Remember what Moses said about inheritance? Moses, he's an old man in his farewell discourse. 
He says to Israel, you're going to inherit this land. But remember, he says, it's not because you're awesome. It's not because of you. It's not because you're awesome. You are a stiff-necked people, he says. And something that must also be understood is that this is Israel according to to the flesh where we see an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth this is old covenant and the rules of engagement of the old covenant we are a people of the new covenant we still fight but we have a different set of rules of engagement different rules of engagement as new covenant believers but yet you see how jephthah he's leading with peace He's not a warmonger. He's not like, you know, hungry for blood. No. And this is something that he's reminding the king about where the king, the, the, uh, the, king, the, the Amon, he wants the land. And he says, oh, but, you know, Israel took the land. Israel took my land. When, and then, you know, so give us, give, give us the land back. But somewhere in his upbringing, he believed the lie. And so Jephthah gives him instruction. You see? Jephthah gives him instruction. Listen, you know, in verse 23, and now the Lord God, the, the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? I mean, is that the answer? Should you then possess it? Don't forget, we're at the precipice of battle here. In verse 24, Will you not possess whatever Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? You see? It's a pretty bold question, but very, very valid. You want to worship Chemosh? Okay. Has Chemosh given you this land? I mean, you can call it God all you want, but the Most High? And that's what Jephthah is saying. The Most High? You did, did did Kamosh give you this land? No, the Lord, the Most High, He gave it to us. You see, and He's giving a little history lesson, Jephthah through his messengers. What is Kamosh to the Most High? What is Baal to the Most High? What is Molech to the Most High? What is Ashtoreth to the Most High? What are the gods of Egypt to the Most High? I'll give you the answer, and it applies to all of them. Nothing. You see? And so Jephthah, responding to the king with the, through, through his messenger, says, So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. And now, in verse 25, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? Now, remember, Balak did oppose Israel. But he sent the women, remember? He did not send their fighters with swords. He sent the women. Through the counsel of Balaam, he learned. The wicked counsel of Balaam. He learned. But did he ever fight him? And Jephthah is bringing up some very, very 
I don't want to just say valid points. He's speaking the truth. Did, did Kemosh give you this land? You see? About Balak, did he ever fight against Israel? And in verse 26, while, while Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages, in Aroer and its villages, and in all the cities along the banks of Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? Why now? Why not then? Since there was this wait for 300 years, that you know, it's you and me. It's not our fathers. It's not our grandfathers. It's not our great-grandfathers. It's you and me. Why now? And since it is now, look at verse 27. Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. You see? Now who's in the wrong? If, is Jephthah in the wrong? No. The king of Ammon, he's in the wrong. You wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. Now, have you ever known a Christian, a believer, who was just different? Different, male or female? But they're just different. They're not like the average bear. They're Bereans, yes. But also just different. Have you, have you ever met a Christian like this? And I'm not talking about a baby Christian, an adolescent Christian, even mature Christian. I'm talking about the straight up deadly Christian, the good deadly. And that's what I think about when I consider Jephthah. I mean... For a moment, just for a moment, put yourself in Amon's sandals where you're having victory upon victory upon victory, town by town by town against Israel, advancing. And you even hear Israel cry out to Baal. You even hear Israel cry out to Ashtoreths. And you're advancing against Israel town by town by town. But then you hit a brick wall. You hit a brick wall. You're hearing something you've never heard before. You're hearing the invoking of the Lord in ways You've never heard about with your own ears. You've only heard people talk about it from, you know, ancient Israel when Egypt was destroyed. Who is this Jephthah fellow? He's different. He's not like the average bear. He not only has this knowledge, but he speaks of the Lord in ways I've never heard before. I mean, just for a moment, if you put yourself in Ammon's sandals and he's hearing, you know, town by town coming against Israel and winning, taking land, advancing in land. 
victory upon victory upon victory against Israel. But there's this brick wall that he hits. And he's taken aback. Who, who is this guy? Jephthah. When he hears this mention of the Lord, in, in, he hasn't heard this before. It's foreign to his ears. He's only heard about it in the, in the storybooks about ancient Israel when, when, when Egypt was oppressing everybody, including the Ammonites. But even still, Ammon, he wants the land. Jephthah led with peace. Jephthah led with peace. As the Lord instructs, according to the rules of engagement of the old covenant. Jephthah was obedient to the Lord. You see? And so now we get into verse 28. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words with Jephthah, which Jephthah sent him. You see? Okay. He made his choice. He made his choice. He's sowing and not heeding the words that Jephthah sent him. The king of Ammon, he, he's sowing now. But what shall he reap? What is it that he is going to reap? And so we get into verse 29. In, in, in verse 29, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon and passing through areas. He's getting closer to battle now. We're no longer at the staging area of combat. We've left the FOB, so to speak. And we're moments away from contact. In verse 30, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Now, vows are meaningless to a whole lot of people, but not with Jephthah. Certainly not with the Lord and not with Jephthah. It's so powerful to see who is it that the Lord uses. It's not, it's so simple. It's so easy. It's very intricate, but it's so easy. Because you look, you look at Jephthah, he's just honoring the Lord. And I don't want to say like he's just honoring the Lord, like it's no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. It is no small thing. He's honoring the Lord. But it's even amplified when nobody else is. When the Lord has become forgotten, who remembers him? You see, look at Deborah. When the Lord became forgotten, not on my watch, she said. She didn't forget the Lord. And who is it that the Lord used? As jumper cables, who is it? It's very interesting to see the priesthood in these passages. You know why? Where are they? Where are they? 
Because the priesthood had a very specific specific job to do. But in these passages, you don't see mention of the priesthood. You see? Look at the religious establishment in the days of the earthly ministry of our Lord before he died on the cross. You see the priesthood. You see the priesthood. According to Aaron, you see the priesthood. Well, according to Adam and according to Aaron, you see the priesthood. But where was the Lord? You see? Look at John the Baptist. Ridiculed, mocked. But who heard the Lord? You see? And you see this vow that Jephthah makes. He's about ready to fight. He's left the FOB. He's, he's left it ready to engage in physical combat. And he makes this vow to the Lord. And he says, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah, in verse 32, advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. You see, victory. Victory. And you look at the formula for victory. And Jephthah, right. You see? What about the previous ones that were chosen? You know, we don't know about them. But when the elders came to Tob, you know, in, in search for Jephthah, he wasn't their first pick. What happened to those guys? What happened to them? No matter what happened to them, we know that they were exposed as defunct because Israel was losing. Ammon was advancing. And what did they do? The elders sought Jephthah. And you see the beauty of this framework of the character of Jephthah. Before battle, praying. Before battle, leading with peace. This knowledge of the Lord, the Lord's handiwork, the knowledge of the Lord and His doing with Israel and the, the people. You see? And you see that he makes a vow, that Jephthah makes a vow to the Lord. And then you see victory. You see? It's so simple. It's so, it's amazingly simple. But it's very intricate. Very, very intricate. In verse 33, and he defeated them. From Aroer, as far as Minith, 20 cities, and to Abel Karamim, with a very great, great slaughter. Now, it must be said, observe Israel according to the flesh. These are the rules of engagement of the old covenant. A very great slaughter. Thus, the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. 
what do we see? Victory. Victory. Now the battle has ended. The battle has ended. Now we get into verse 34. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him. Now, I have to say, there are passages of scripture that are painful and some hurt me greatly. This is one of them. This is one of them. Look at his daughter. His daughter. It's post-war now. The battle's over. And the daughter comes out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child. Look at his beautiful daughter. The battle's over. The fight's over. Worried about her dad. And she comes out to meet him. She's on cloud nine. She comes out to meet him and she's dancing. She's got her timbrels. Look at his baby girl, his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. Only child, just his daughter. Look at her beauty coming out to see her dad. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes. You see, tearing of clothes, that's mourning. A, a, a break of covering. That's mourning. He tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me. Picture the shock of his daughter. She doesn't know what's happening. You know, she, she, she knows that you know, she's happy to see her dad, that her dad's alive and he just got back from war. And her happiness isn't matched by her dad. She knows something is seriously wrong. Especially when he hears, when she hears him say, you are among those who trouble me. He says, for I have given my word to the Lord. And I cannot go back on it. Remember, vows are meaningless to many, many people but not to Jephthah. Definitely not with the Lord. Not to the godly. And Jephthah says, I have given my word to the Lord and I can't go back on it. So she said to him in verse 36, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. How beautiful, how beautiful is his daughter. You've given your word to the Lord. Whatever has gone out of your mouth, do to me according to that. Because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. You see, look at her beauty. Now remember, his vow to the Lord is verse 31. Whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And now you have his daughter. She comes out to meet him. And she says, Father, what, whatever it is, 
do to me according to what has come out of your mouth. You've given your word to the Lord. You see? I mean, when you see someone who's not like the average bear, don't be surprised when their kids are also not like the average bear. Look at the beauty of his daughter. She didn't crack jokes and say, oh, you know, you know, this is crazy talk. No, she's. Look at how he raised her. You've given your word to the Lord. You see, Jephthah, he knows I can't go back on my word to the Lord. You know who else knows? His beautiful daughter. Dan, you can't go back on your word. You see? Then she said to her father, look, then, you know, at this point, he's told his daughter about the vow. And in verse 37, she says, let this thing be done for me. Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. You know, there, there are times in our studies when I wish I could speak to specific people and groups of people, and this is one of them. There are times I wish I could speak to pastors. There are times I wish I could speak to elders. There are times I wish I could speak to men. There are times I wish I could speak to all the males, young and old. There are times I wish I could speak to all the females, young and old. There are times I wish I could speak to married couples and, you know, deacons and you know teachers and but this in particular i wish i could speak to every teenage girl in the faith my beautiful young sisters in christ jephthah's daughter how beautiful she is she's not just sad here She's beyond sad. She's going to bewail her virginity, to weep and moan. The thought of what could have been and no longer is. And for my young sisters in Christ, never, ever, ever, ever forget the better husband. Capital H. Never forget the better husband. Because in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, it is written, You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. To him. Capital H. To him. Who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Never forget the better husband is Jesus. Because he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Never. And here in Judges 11, this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful daughter. Who's not like the average bear herself. She was raised by a dad who's not like the average bear. She doesn't argue with her dad. She's like Isaac. Who didn't argue with Abraham. She even supported her dad. Father, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. 
You see, vows are meaningless to many, many, many people, but not with this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful daughter. I'm certain she wanted more time with her dad. I'm certain that he wanted more time with her, his only child. But it can't be. And she goes with her friends. Look at the beautiful friends. They don't tell her to, you know, hey, this is your opportunity. We're in the mountains. Go and run away. We won't say anything. They don't tell her to run away. They don't tell her to deny the Lord. They don't tell her that her dad is stupid. They don't give her worldly counsel. They accompany her where she bewails her virginity. And in the Hebrew, it's the virgin, also the bride. You know what that is in the Hebrew? Bethulim in the Hebrew. Bethulim. It's where we get the word Bethlehem. Very interesting what we see here. In verse 38, so he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with their friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so. At the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man, his beautiful daughter, his beautiful daughter offered as a burnt offering. The vow of Jephthah. But it must be said, observe Israel according to the flesh. And in Jephthah, we have this judge of Israel. His lineage is over. It's the end of his genealogy. The next judge, he comes from Bethlehem. Does that sound familiar? Where the lineage of Abraham comes to a close according to the flesh and resumes according to... Definitely not the flesh. According to spirit. And something beautiful happens in Bethlehem. Bethulim. Virgin. And bride. You see? How we can marvel at the ways of our Lord. And yes, this is painful. I don't... You know, it hurts. I can't deny that. I can't gloss over this and be like, you know, okay, yeah, we, we can feel good about this. I can, you know, it hurts. It's painful. I mean, victorious in war, you want to celebrate. And how beautiful it is for a dad, to, a, a, a godly dad to celebrate with this godly daughter. How beautiful those moments must have been. How beautiful they would have been. 
but yet to a remnant vows are everything only to a remnant not to leaven nor to the apostate only the remnant I'm going to say something to parents. We see baby dedications in the church, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong at all with baby dedications. But we often lose sight and lose perspective. Because to dedicate a child is beautiful. But don't forget the parties to the transaction. And I don't mean transaction. I mean, I know it sounds so formal to say transaction. But let's not forget the two parties. Child unto God, and also you unto God. And when you dedicate your child to the Lord, at some point in the future, you're going to have to let go. You're going to have to let go at some point. Let not your offering to the Lord. Let not your sacrifice, let not your offering be mangy or filthy before the Lord. Teach your children well. Teach your children in the ways of righteousness. Here we are at the end of verse 39. And it became a custom in Israel in verse 40 that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.